Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, welcome to you too. Book of Acts. We are supposed to finish this morning. And I know some of you have expressed an eagerness to get to the letter to the Romans. What an amazing thing that you have people that actually want to hear what the Bible has to say in a church. Thank God for you. And the rest of you. (laughs) Well, Acts chapter 28, we will start the exposition in verse 17, hopefully to the end. But we're going to stand and take verses 23 and 24. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? For those of you unfamiliar with what's going on, the Apostle Paul has made it to Rome. And he is still under house arrest. And he is going to have the Jewish leaders meet him at his house there in Rome and begin to um, preach there also. So verse 23, Acts 28. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained the and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Please be seated. Preaching in Chains is the title of this morning's message, and before I open up on our youth, I'd like to say to anyone who maybe has metaphorically chains upon them in life, something that is binding you, holding you prisoner, uh, are you still preaching in chains, or has that knocked you out of the box? I can tell you Christ wants you to preach wherever you are, in season and out of season, in jail and out of jail. Christ uh, gives us these examples throughout the scripture. Children born into a Christian home should thank God for their spiritual head start and do something with it. If you are born to parents who love the Lord Jesus Christ then rather than whining about being shielded from the knowledge of evil, how about you embrace what's going on? How about you, you, you pay attention? You know, if I, were, if I were a sports coach giving you a pep talk, you'd be right there with me. But this ain't sports. And Satan's not playing. He's looking to take you out as soon as he can. And the dumber you are, the easier it's going to be. But this kind of dumbness I'm talking about is by choice, not because you, you're not cap- you are capable of beating him back. You have to learn how to surrender at an early age, identify things. Uh, how, many, how many youth understand how much they are loved? How much care goes into them? When they're not home, when you're out doing whatever it is you're doing, playing sports with your friends in school, whatever you're doing, mom and dad's love does not dim. It's intense all the time. Do something with that. That's the same for Christians. Christ loves us. His love does not wane. 
And the Christian filled with the Spirit wants to do something with that. And the whole book of Acts has been about the first Christians. Later, other Christians will be thrown to the lions. We won't read about that in Acts. But we know about it from history. You can remain in God's care. Or you can take your freedom and jump into Satan's doomed hands and be damned along with him. It's serious business. Without Jesus in your life, whatever you achieve won't help you in the end. On the other side, the Christian life and the Christian quest is about growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. That grace part is about my interaction with other people. It's also me and Christ, of course, but it also has to do with how I treat others, how I react to others. I grow in the grace and the knowledge. Sometimes you meet a Christian, they're growing in the knowledge, but they're not growing in the grace, and you just don't want to be around them. And then to preach the gospel to lost souls, the growing and the flowing. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. That's the outflow of what Christ has done according to the scriptures. We've been watching these first Christians abide with Christ, and now it's our turn. The book of Acts closes with Acts chapter 28. Every Christian after has been a part of Acts chapter 29. And so now we look at verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I have delivered as a yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, verse 18, who when they had examined me wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death, verse 19. So when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. Well, Paul is now meeting with the Jewish community here, not the Jewish Christians that belong to the church that is in Rome. There were about 13 synagogues in Rome at this time, historians tell us. They had been, the Jews had been in Rome for a hundred years. Pompey brought them back as prisoners from Rome, uh, and uh, the population uh, then began to grow once those once they began and got into the society. So the gospel reached Rome long before Paul arrived. In Acts chapter two, at the day of Pentecost, we know that there were Jewish people from Rome in Jerusalem. Acts two verse ten: visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. That's Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. They were in Rome at Pentecost, and after the feast, they would return back to Rome. But God knew that those now Christians needed more than God's plan of salvation, which they embraced. They also needed God's plan of development, sanctification, maturity in Christ, discipleship. And they received this development in four stages. One were the, uh, the disciples of Paul. 
Paul, you get to the last chapter of Roman, the Roman letter, and Paul begins to rattle off all these names of people that have been in his life, and now they're in Rome. And so they were under his teaching. They had the doctrine, and they were doing their work in the church that was there in Rome. And then Paul wrote the Roman letter to them. So there are two stages right there, Paul's disciples and other, other Christians, and then Paul's letter, and now Paul's arrival in Rome. There'll be a fourth one when Peter gets there. Peter writes in his letter, letter to, uh, you know, the, uh, the elect in Babylon, which is code, believed to be code for Rome. Because Babylon, ancient Babylon, was really just a, a hole in the wall at the time Peter wrote and likely not written to believers in Babylon itself. Anyway, these Jewish heads of the community, rabbis, they deserve to know why Paul was under house arrest and why he was chained to a Roman citizen. They wanted to hear it from him. Paul looked at all these guys as bullseyes. They were targets for the gospel of Jesus Christ the fulfillment of their own religion. So verse 20, he says, For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Now, of course, this all began when he was wrongfully accused of bringing a Gentile into the, the court of the temple in Jerusalem. And... He was arrested. The Romans wanted to get to the bottom of this. They found out he had committed no crime against Rome, but the Jews wanted him dead. And then the politics got involved, and they wanted the, Jew, the Romans wanted to turn uh, Paul over to the Jews and let them you know, work it out. But Paul knew that they would kill him, so he appealed to Caesar. And that's what he's trying to tell these men without... Um, bad-mouthing his accusers, the prosecutors, just trying to stick to the facts. So he gets to the point. Here's why I'm under house arrest, and it is for the preaching of our Messiah coming, Jesus. It is because Paul believed what the prophet said. He believed his Bible, which was the Old Testament. The New Testament was under development at this time. And he is suffering because he believed in his scriptures and acted on what he believed. Jeremiah talks about Yahweh being the hope of Israel in Jeremiah 17, 13. We Christians have been waiting over 2,000 years now for Christ to return. The Jews had waited 3,000, over 3,000 years for him and they missed him when he did come. We who believe don't plan on missing the Christ. We are trying to do everything to be actually good servants of him. So scripture supported Paul's prophetic view, his views of prophecy and the fulfillment in Christ, the hope of Israel. And many Jews will refuse this. Many had, but many also embraced it. He says, I am bound with this chain. He's preaching under investigation. Well, that's a big deal because some people treat accusations as convictions. There was a Calvary pastor not very long ago at all. His uh, two sons ganged up on him. 
One charged him with, you know, just joined other accusations against him. The second son turned to the life, a life of homosexuality and began to accuse his father of all sorts of, uh, you know, just sick things. And the other son jumped on the bandwagon. And for 13 years, this story unfolded. Many people left that church believing, oh, he's guilty. They charged him with it. He's guilty. Fortunately, there were good Christian people stood by him. Where's the proof? Pastor Chuck stood by him. Well, in the end, uh, they found out it was all a lie. All of it. Trying to strike back at him. And, of course, restitution was made. Uh, but what, what a story. And that is just a recent example of some people treating accusations as convictions. And Paul was no different. He suffered that also. He says, I am bound with this chain. First Timothy, he, which hasn't been written yet, he will write it later. And in that letter, writing to Timothy, a pastor, he's going to give some guidelines for bringing charges against a pastor, which are, are for everyone, actually, not, but, but he singles out the pastor's. It's not a foolproof system. Jezebel used the law to steal the vineyard from Naboth by having false accusers come against him. But amongst decent people, it works pretty well. 1 Timothy 5.19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And you've got to consider the witnesses, of course. Well, Christians violate that quite often. They'll go out and badmouth pastors as though, it's, as though it were law. And they'll do that to other people, too. And that's unfortunate. Others, of course, know better. Second Timothy, which was written uh, probably about four years after the first Timothy letter. He says, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. There it is. That tells us there were those that were. Ashamed of Paul being under arrest, under investigation. Remember, he was in protective custody, awaiting trial. He had not been found guilty of anything. And, of course, he was chained, but the gospel was not. God made it work. We know that not only from this chapter, but also the Colossian letter. That he's going to write while he's under arrest in Rome. And he says to them... Remember my chains. Meaning, I don't want to be in jail. But that's where he was. Was there any fruit there? Absolutely. Philemon, chapter 10. Now, Philemon was from Colossae, where he wrote that letter. And Philemon was, was evidently a well-to-do man. He had slaves. One of them was Onesimus. Not Onesiphorus, who I read a minute ago. I know that's important to you. But this one is Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon and evidently stole some things too. And so he gets lost in the big city of Rome, which, where the one that said, I'm not, that was not ashamed of Paul, he sought Paul out. He looked for him high and low in that big city of Rome and found him. Well, this Onesimus, he gets saved by Paul while in Rome. And not only does he get saved, he acts upon his salvation. Paul says, you got to go back. To Philemon, you're a fugitive. You have broken the law. You've got to make this right. I know Philemon. And you've got to trust this to God. And so Philemon uh, makes it back to, uh, to um, 
Colossae and delivers this letter uh, to, from Paul to Philemon. And there Paul wrote to Philemon, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. The gospel's not chained. Paul's still free to preach. And he did that. And, uh, you know, he's a manservant of the Lord. And he enters Rome a way he never thought he would, in handcuffs. But his God held the key. That's not enough. You've got to know it. You've got to do something with believing that. He knew God held the key, and he lived like he knew God held the key, even though he didn't like it. Remember my chains. Well, verse 21, then they said to him, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. Hmm. Well, they heard of Paul's Christianity. I want to pause here to point out something, that the Lord opens the doors for church growth. And I believe the Bible teaches that only the Lord is to open the doors for church growth. I don't know if a week goes by where I get somebody telling me, number one, how dumb I am as a pastor and I need to come to their conference and figure out ministry. Or I'm getting, you know, hey, you need to grow your church. You know, you're too dumb to know how to do that. You have to send us some money so we can help you out there. Well, does that sound hard? I, I don't ever get accused of being lovable. I do get accused of being stern, and I, I don't get it. Anyway, so I'm going to say this backing it up from Scripture, which should get me off the hook, right? Like, he's not stern, he's just quoting Scripture. Because he enjoys it doesn't mean he's a meanie. Revelation 3. This is the church in, uh, that was very faithful, very small. God's going to open doors for them. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For, if you, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. This is the church in Asia Minor, uh, Minor uh, Philadelphia. Then in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going in reverse order uh, chronologically. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we read this about the, the Jewish Christians that were flooding into the church, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, would you rather have the Lord add to your church or would you rather be involved? We don't want the congregants being little salesmen for the church. That's the Lord's. He's not a salesman, but he is Lord of the church. He is Lord of the harvest. And it is, uh, as a pastor, I don't want to try to sell the church to convince somebody to return. That's none of my business. Uh, that's between the Lord and them. Zechariah 4, and this is when the temple of the Jews was, was supposed to be rebuilt, but the Jewish people weren't really moving to get it done. And God raised up Haggai the prophet and, and Zechariah. And Zechariah, God speaking to him, said, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how these things are going to get done. I happen to believe these things, and I try to adhere to them. Uh, I don't care if others are not doing it. Uh, I don't mean that in a, you know, like a, a hostile way. If they're not doing it, that's them on them. But I know what I understand the scriptures to say, and I'm going to go with that. 
And so here, Paul, he is going to lay out to them the gospel from their scripture. He's not trying to, you know, you know appeal to them with anything outside of what the Bible says. And if that doesn't do it, then it's not going to get done. Uh, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Well, that's spiritual too. He who lives by the word of God dies by the word of God because they don't depart from it, no matter what happens. And I hope I go to, go to my grave uh, holding to the Bible, to the word of God. Um, verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Well, it's been less than 30 years since Christ ascended to heaven, the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Christ. And Christianity is bad-mouthed in a lot of places, in the Jewish community especially, because they were nonconformist. They weren't asking other people how to be Christians. They were getting that from God, from their own, and from the Old Testament, and from the apostles. And they did something with it. And in so doing, they offended people. Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword. Well, you can sugarcoat the gospel and you won't offend anybody except people who don't sugarcoat the gospel. Anyway, they said, uh, we want to hear from you concerning this sect. They classified Christianity as a heretical offshoot of Judaism. But actually, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism uh, rendering it obsolete and, and moving forward with or without them. Were they being honest? When they said, for concerning this sect, we know that it's spoken, but, you know, that's it. We just know it's bad mouth. How could that be? How could Jewish leaders be unaware of Jews in Rome who had become Christians? As big a city as Rome was, the Jewish community always stays plugged in. There would have been family members that became Christians and did not become Christians and would still remain in touch in some form. And so, especially since you had Jews in Rome serving Christ, worshiping alongside of Gentiles. That would have been all over their radar. So I don't know if they were being so honest, acting, playing dumb. You know, we don't want all we want to hear from you. Well, Paul doesn't get tripped up with that. They wanted to hear Christianity from Paul. They were going to get Christianity from Paul. Verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Well, he couldn't do or he couldn't go to the synagogues as was his custom, as was the custom of the Lord before him, because he's under house arrest. And uh, so the delay allowed for those 13 synagogues to get it on the schedule and the leaders and representatives of the community and the rabbis would show up. He must have had a sizable room given to him. Well, and that had to be coordinated too. Anyway, he says, to whom he explained, here in verse 23, and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. Paul never changed his method with the Jews. With the Jews, he first went to their scripture. He did not have to explain when he said, Isaiah said, they didn't say, who's Isaiah? They knew who Isaiah was, and they knew what Isaiah said. 
And so that just was perfect. You would think that, man, that is ideal. How could they say no? Well, they did. With the Gentiles, he would go to logic that, that we know of. He had, I'm sure, other moves, but we remember this from Athens. Either way, he would, both of them, would declare the whole counsel of God. That means he would speak from God's word. And he would do it without any weirdo ideas ideas and uh, private revelations. You know, someone coming along, oh, God said this to me. Yeah, well, he didn't say it to us. Peter wrote about this, knowing first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not that God singled you out, and the rest of us are just going to sit there and listen to what you have to say. Islam does it that way. Uh, they have their prophet, and that's it. Uh, but that's not Christianity. Persuading them concerning Jesus. That Jesus is Messiah, who came, and they missed it. But it's even more than that. Our approach, by the way, back to the Gentiles, uh, is, I said it was a little different. Well, we usually have to point, what, uh, point out sin and the guilt that it brings before a holy God. That's one of the things we get to right away. The other thing we might have to get to fairly quickly is the trustworthiness of Scripture. Well, the Jews had both of those. All their blood offerings was about their sin uh, to a, before a holy God. Uh, the trustworthiness of the scripture, they had no problem there. Here's where it, it gets to be, here's the wild card. Jesus is the single solution. Now the Jews would have no problem with Messiah being the single solution. They just had a problem with who's the Messiah. The Gentiles have a problem. Well, it is one way. Well, why not? I mean, what, you got many ways uh, that, well, you know, who paves those things? Who maintains those roads? Who says, that, you know, what proof do you have? All roads lead to Rome, but they don't all lead to heaven. Only one. Well, so that's in method. So it says here, from both the law of Moses and the prophets. I'm in verse 23. This is what he used with these Jewish leaders. Single source. The scripture. This is how Jesus did it. Yeah, well, Jesus also had those phenomenal miracles, right? But that didn't save everybody. There were many that saw those miracles and did not convert. Many benefited from them. Nine of them in one situation didn't even come back to say thank you. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, beginning at Moses. This is talking about Jesus. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And the church has been doing this ever since. Hopefully, the true church. Easy peasy. If you're going to preach to the Jews, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Zechariah 14, just to name a few. It's all over their scripture. They really have no excuse. Who else can fulfill Isaiah 53 in history? And then there's Genesis 49.10. You say, huh? It says nice things about bald-headed people. Let's get to it. No, that's, that's another verse. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Well, how would you prove that you were a king according to the line of Judah? Well, you'd have the records there. 
in Jerusalem. Short walk to go find that out. Well, the Romans destroyed all those records when they destroyed Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and all that was on it. Now you cannot. There's no one on earth that can prove that they're of the line of Judah, which the Messiah comes from. The window is closed. It was either Christ or it ain't going to be anybody. So you just line that up with Isaiah 53 and Zechariah and just the other scripture verses. And through a logical approach, a problem-solving approach, a system of a process of elimination, everything points to Jesus and no one else. There's not even a runner-up. Just even just take some of the words from, jo- from Josephus and you say, man, that, he's the one. Well, this is what he tried to do from the scriptures. From morning till even, evening. It's a long time. Well, he felt they were worth it. Because God feels they are worth it. These men were not predestined to go to hell already. It must have been a waste of time. Rightly dividing the word of God. Verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Well, the ones that believed, they were converted without signs and wonders, were they not? Again, the signs and wonders begin to fade out with the apostles. Uh, It became the word of God by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, wrote Paul to the Corinthians. The true gospel is a take it or leave it. It is the ultimate take it or or leave it. Truth cannot be affected by your taste. You cannot say, yeah, uh, two plus two is four, but, you know, I'd rather it be three. We know that you're, you know, you're off the rails at that point. Something's not working with you. Well, the gospel is no different. It has to add up. And to walk around saying, well, Christians just believe in the fantasy is quite presumptuous of the accusers. As though we don't look at facts, as though we don't measure, you know, uh, reality. Somehow we, we, we make an exception when it comes to religion. Well, some do. But ideally, Christians don't. Uh, it says, and some disbelieved. Well, what does that tell us? That believing is a matter of choice. Some chose to believe. Some chose not to believe. John 3.16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Unfortunately, there are elements of the church that say, oh, no, no, that doesn't apply. That doesn't apply to everybody. It's just the people that God likes. Where do they get that from? You can't insert that. You try that with the Trinity or the doctrine of any other doctrine and you'll be called a heretic. But there are those that can do it with that verse. That's just for the elect, brother. Well, I elect not to agree with you. From the foundation of the world, you're wrong. Anyway, Paul believed the Old Testament, and it got him in trouble. He believed in his Bible, got him in trouble. When we believe in the Bible and act on it, without sugarcoating sin, we get in trouble too. What our faith forbids and condemns, the world demands. Demands that we accept it. Insist that we are wrong. Oftentimes, they become angry towards us for not ignoring sin, for daring to oppose them. This, is the, this one goes back to Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother because his brother was righteous, and he hated it. 
And instead of saying, man, what makes you tick? How can I get some of that? He decided to eliminate him. He wouldn't have to look at his face for having the audacity to call the world, as upset with us, for having the audacity to call their craziness insanity. And we're living it unlike ever before. They've moved from attacking marriage to just attacking humanity and demanding we... All right, I don't want to get too much into that. You, you all get it. And if you're visiting and you have been drinking the world's Kool-Aid and you think they're onto some new thing, you need to understand there is a real evil and it's got his hands on you. And you better make a choice... You're either going to stampede to hell like a stampeding herd of apples, or you are going to listen to God. You're either going to think for yourself, or you're going to follow the crowd. Wide is that gate, broad is that way, and it leads to destruction. And you won't have anybody to blame in hell but yourself. So... Angry towards us because we like God more than them. That's a fact. It's part of reality. So Paul, he delivers the message. To them, it was about who Messiah is. And to us, it is about who the Savior is now. It's gone beyond Judaism. <clears throat> and unlike Christianity, or I should say, I'll put it this way. Unlike Islam, Christianity is not to be spread or maintained by the sword. The real sword, <clears throat> by violence. Pardon me. <clears throat> Thank you. So, uh, back to this. Uh, and, and, and it, you know, this is, there have been imposters in Christianity that have used the sword to spread what their version of Christianity. That's outside of Scripture. And that would put in question the genuineness of their belief. Verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said one word. They departed after Paul had said one word. Sorry, just seeing if you're listening. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, verse 26, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Again, back to the Bible. He uses he gets the last word in, and he uses the Bible to do it. It's not his opinion. It's his scripture. The Holy Spirit spoke. Now, this is important. He is quoting the words spoken to Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah's vision in the temple of God. But the one who speaks there in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, is Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. It is God speaking to Isaiah there in Isaiah 6. Paul here quotes Isaiah, and the utterance is applied to the Holy Spirit. Paul says the, whole, the Holy Spirit is God, and that the Holy Spirit, what he says, God says. This is the Trinity in action. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person of the Godhead. The members of the Trinity are not three separate persons. They are three distinct 
personalities in one nature. And perhaps the closest we can get to this is a triangle. A triangle has three distinct corners, but it is one triangle. And uh, they coexist. They're always in agreement. The Holy Spirit speaks because he is not in it. But Satan also speaks. Satan is not a force in the universe like the yin-yang thing going on. He is a person too. But, uh, well, there's Lucifer, the head of the enemy, the head of satanic forces. But there are many of them that make up Satan. When Satan speaks to you, it's not Lucifer. It's one of the minions out of hell. But it was Lucifer who spoke to Eve. And what was the first words out of his foul mouth? Has indeed God said. He challenged the Bible. That's why I talked about, you know, when we, when we share the gospel, one of the things we have to do is establish a trustworthiness of Scripture, which the, the world wants to just get the Bible out of the way. Somehow, some way, make you think it's untrustworthy. To do this, <clears throat> they will resort to untrustworthy methods. They will lie, oftentimes. Anyway, knowledge of the Bible without the Holy Spirit is dead religion. Through the Holy Spirit, that's how the Lord is exercising His will right now on earth. One of the methods, of course. Uh, Christ is not walking around uh, teaching anymore, but the Holy Spirit is through people. Uh, you, rightly through Isaiah the prophet, to our fathers. God speaks in order to speak through. He speaks to his people in order to speak through his people. Religion without God's presence is a dead religion. Who, who can argue that? Who wants a religion without God? That would be atheism. God has faithful servants, however, in unfaithful churches. This steams me. <laughs> this does. It's like, God, I put all this work into it. And others seem to just do loony, crazy things, and they get converts. I'll give you a biblical example. In the book of Revelation, <clears throat> in chapter 2, we have the church at Smyrna, which was being persecuted. And right after that, we have the church at Pergamos which had the doctrine of Balaam, the Nicolaitan. They were just doing all, all sorts of goofy stuff. And, and God was calling them out on it. And so what we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, I should have wrote it down, but I didn't. So you just have to give me a second here. Here we um, Hold on. Here's what I want. 13. To the church of Pergamos that was struggling, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so you would think to find Antipas in the church of Smyrna where they were being persecuted. And Jesus said, I need you, I need you to be faithful to death. When they're killing you, I need them not to kill your faith. You stand strong. That's the church in Smyrna. But then he comes to Pergamos, and this is all messed up, but yet there's Antipas. There's a faithful servant. 
And even they, as a church, they stood their ground in the face of persecution, but they, they brought in heresies. And so that, you know, who doesn't that steam? Like, I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with that. We shouldn't be fine with that. But we've got to be careful. You have to be careful. What is the Lord doing? There are faithful servants in unfaithful churches. And I think that is one of the reasons God put that in Revelation. On the seven churches of Revelation. So, yeah, I, I look at some wacky church and say, man, that's just, you know, they got this and they got that and it's like unbiblical. But yet, you meet people from that church and say, that person loves the Lord. It's not fair. <laughs> of course, I want what God wants. And uh, whatever my flesh wants, I know that's my enemy. Anyway, r- rightly through Isaiah, the prophet We're back in verse 26, rightly through Isaiah the prophet, to our fathers. Now the zealot Jews were incensed at being told they killed their own Messiah. This is why when Paul was hated and Peter and the rest of them uh, by their own people, these Jews that he's speaking to, they're going to have to take that medicine too. They killed their own Messiah just like the scripture said they would. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, as written in the Old Testament, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. That's that's Peter telling them like it is. In chapter 5, Peter says, Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. (laughs) Right, Right out. Then Stephen, you know, who could stand before him? He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. So you either had to make it. You had to make a choice early on if you were living in this time in history as a Jew and coming across these Christians. And then there were the zealot pagans who would persecute Christians after the Jews. Incensed at being told that all of their gods were phony, all of them. And that they were useless concoctions of the God-makers club and that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Acts 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Those are the converts, man. The converts came out, look, I don't want you to make any mistake. I am no longer following this witchcraft. I serve Jesus now, and we're going to have a public burning. So when we give an altar, we say, look, you want to receive Christ, you come up. You make that statement. Don't start out with, oh, you know, I don't want anybody to know. Satan's going to use that against you. If you believe, then you should be rejoicing in your confession of faith. And actually, I mean, when I became a Christian, I was telling everybody, I mean, you won't believe what I read this weekend. And they were diving in back of cars, they portable foxholes they were jumping into, anything to get away from me. Lost them all. And and God gave me a a whole bunch of new friends. And uh, aren't I glad. Acts 19, again, about the zealot pagans who resisted Christianity. This Paul, this is Demetrius making his case why Paul needs to be dealt with. This Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Yeah, well, you know, Mao tried to purge anything, anything 
he tried to purge everything out of China that wasn't communist, because communism is a religion that dabbles in politics, but it is a religion, and it wants no competitors. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, they, there it is, the persecution from Jews and Gentiles alike, equal opportunity uh, persecutors. Verse 27 for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing. He's still quoting the prophet Isaiah. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Well, he's standing up to them. He's giving them their own Bible. Speaking of standing up, and back to not only our teens, but also our adults, you know, what would you do with Christianity if you lived in Pakistan, in Islamabad, Pakistan, where it could get you slowly killed? Um, you know, something to think about. What, what do you have? Looking at, you know, what has God given me? No, you know, I, don't, I don't remember as a teen, you know, interested in philosophies and theology, uh, except when the time came. There were times when it did come. And, well, for you, it's right now. It's being brought up. The world is tugging at you. This is more fun. This is better. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to be, think for yourself? And say, I don't believe that, and I'm not doing that. This is what I believe, and this is what I'm doing. Punk. Okay, you can't say that. Don't say that. Unless you have a white necktie on preaching in a pulpit. All right. I don't, I don't think you're really enjoying what I just said, but we'll move on. <laughs> uh, you know, you come to Christ, you see things that are real, and you want to deal with them in your own strength. And God says, don't do that. And that's why I throw those little things in there, because we all have our moments where we want to really, you know, let the flesh take care of this. <laughs> and God says, no, don't. So... Uh, verse 27, where he quotes, the hearts of this people have grown dull. How does a heart grow dull when you have Scripture? By using life without the Scripture. By reducing the Scripture to just a religion, ritual, without the Spirit of God and submission to Him. You can never say to God, I'll take it from here. And that's what false religions or that's what ritualists... You know, if you just say, hey, our religion is about lighting candles and wearing robes, that's fine if you're going at the Scripture. But if you're throwing the Scripture to the side and you're saying, no, this now uh, is, identifies who we are, then you have religion without the Spirit of God. They read their Scriptures without devotion to listening. Devotion to listening. Second Corinthians not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul knew. He said, you know, there are people that are into their religion, but they don't have the Spirit of God. And they've got all the rules and all the quotes, but they're not listening. And I understand it's challenging to be devoted, to maintain your devotions. But I think this is a good I don't know where I got this. I don't know if it was original or if I picked it up. It sounds Tozer-ish. Uh, usually I, I, I footnote where, when I quote something so I don't plagiarize anyone. But I'm going to take credit for it because I'm just feeling in a carnal mood. No. Well, here it goes. Uh, 
A flake of inspiration never chased away a headache. A flake of devotion to Jesus never keeps one useful to him. Well, that's hard, right? When you're trying to devote, but you've got so many things pulling on you. But it's good to remember. I do not want to offer a flake of devotion. Because that's not devotion. And I've got to try to take steps to maintain my devotional time with the Lord. He says their ears are hard of hearing. The truth wasn't penetrating, so they weren't going to understand. Many skeptics reject Christ out of personal prejudice. They don't want it to be true. They've already, they're already believing something else. And they don't, you know, don't convince me with facts. My mind is made up. And so, uh, rather than through unbiased investigation, they just slam the door. He says, their eyes, they have closed. Notice the careful language of God. They could see, but they closed their eyes. Well, that's an option. And they took that option. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. There's a little sarcasm in this from God. God is saying, oh no, whatever you do, don't believe me. You know, never mind the facts. You just keep right on going that way. If the Jews such as Barnabas and Silas and the countless other Jews at this time could come to Christ, then these Jews had no excuse for not coming. Jews are invited to believe, not as Jews, but as sinners, like everybody else. It's changed now. Christ has changed things. And you either come to Christ as a sinner that you are, or you will not be forgiven. He says, so that I could heal them. That's what God wants to do. That's his desire. He is the solution. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And we're living proof that this is happening. This is fulfilled. Paul knew this would push buttons. <laughs> he knew that once they heard Gentiles, some of them would shut down. But if the Spirit of God was working in the hearts of some of those Jews, they would say, well, you know what, I don't like this, but I can't deny Christ is the Messiah, and I will line up with him. The natural man wants to evade the lordship of God, doesn't want God's rules, wants to make their own rules. Verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. Well, some believed, some disbelieved. And in our language, if you want to boil it down, to disbelieve is to hear and to reject, to be, to be a disbeliever, to be an unbeliever, can mean you never heard the message, so you ha- you don't believe. But it's not because you have rejected it, you never heard the message. And there are many people who have not truly heard the gospel in this country. They have heard versions of the gospel that are not biblical, or they have watched with their eyes uh, Christianity that is not according to the scripture. And they've made, I was like that. I looked at, you know, the, the kooky Christians and said, that, that can't be right. But then when the word of God came, all that changed. Uh, So he says here in verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So he left them with a lot to talk about, and that's why they were arguing back and forth. Verse 30, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Now he was in prison for two years back in Israel, 
in Caesarea Maritima, there by the Mediterranean Sea, um, a little bit more than two years, actually, just two years under Felix. And then uh, here is another two years in travel time. He's been probably in, in lost for five years. He has not had freedom thereabout. According to the early church fathers, and this is history, it is not scripture, and, uh, but we have no reason to, to doubt this. According to them, he was released from this imprisonment for about four years. And during that time, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, likely preached in, on Crete. He moved around, may have gone to Spain. It's, we don't have any record of, of that. We just accept the church fathers, which are not apostles, or, but they were devout men and would have no reason to lie. And there's nothing in this is doctrinally wrong. Anyway, he was eventually rearrested by Nero's administration, Nero, uh, when the church, when, once, once the Roman Empire realized that the Christians were not a part of the Jews, they were free to persecute them without worrying about all of the, the connections they had with the Jewish people, and that they did. And of course, uh, he, while at that second arrest, he wrote Second Timothy, and is believed to have been beheaded, oh, 66, 67. Uh, years after the birth of Christ, uh, a little over, about 33 years after the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ, before the destruction of the Jewish temple. Luke may have perished with him, and that might account for why we, we have no more information than what we have. Verse 31, um, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. See, the gospel's not chained. He's, he's chained to a man, he's, but he's not, he's not gagged. He's still preaching. The advancement of the gospel has never been stopped globally. No one forbidding him. You know, here in America, they've been trying to forbid us from preaching the gospel. I think they're changing tactics. Still after the same thing. Here's, I'll use the gun laws to explain that. So it seems like there's an element out there saying, well, we, we, we can't take their guns. But what we can do is take away what they think, how they think about their guns. And that's what they're trying to do now, make it vilify with nobody's guns. You know, even Apple, you know, they used to have a little pistol emoji and they replaced it with a water pistol. Like, that was dumb. I mean, that, come on. It's the same. Anyway, my point is, I don't know. I'm stuck with the green emoji in my head now. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we're, our fight our fight now is against this indoctrination of people that have pretty much marginalized Christianity as mythological, but everything they believe in is somehow factual. And uh, this is where the war is. So, um, Acts chapter 1, I'm almost done. And, and, and if, you, if you've been sleeping... Uh, now's the time to start waking up. Acts chapter 1, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. We summarize the book of Acts with Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and great grace was upon them all. Thus were the first Christians, preaching in chains. 
Let's pray. Our Father, I don't know about everybody else, but I have thoroughly enjoyed our consideration of the actions of the apostles in the Holy Spirit. It has been very exciting. And I am just grateful. And I pray that I'm always doing more, at least in my my heart, the quest as a believer, to always do more for the kingdom. If you've been listening and you have not opened your heart to Christ, you're not a believer, you've never made a confession to Christ of your sin and request for his lordship over your life, you have a chance right now. I, I don't know what holds a person back when they have no argument against the facts and then they are invited to come and act upon the facts. Why they still hold back? Except, you know, the influence of Satan, the influence of the world and that sinful nature of the individual. They work in concert to prohibit, if they can, the conversion of a soul. If you have no reason to reject Christ that you can think of, then come to him. He is looking forward to you coming to him. He shall see the travail of his soul, it tells us in Isaiah 53, and be satisfied. He shall see the suffering on the cross and be satisfied with the fruit of the converts that come from the life of Christ. If you'd like to receive him, then say this prayer with me, and God will receive you. If you mean it, he'll take you. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I give my life to you right here and right now, that from this day forward, without shame. I will confess that you are my Savior and you are my Lord. And now, Father, if anyone has made this confession this morning, may they act upon it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.